So hello, uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Um, my name is Helen Kane and I am CEO of One MSL and we are so excited to welcome you to the first in this webinar series, MSL Excellence Redefined Adapting to the New Normal. Um, we're, as you all know, we're at a really interesting time in our history and we felt that this was the right time to think about the conversations that are going to happen over the next five weeks. And I am so pleased to be joined by my colleagues from within the industry and from within one MSL. Um, you can see them all on camera here, but I'm going to do some short introductions. Uh, first, we have Sherry Hussain, who is a senior MSL at AstraZeneca in Australia. Sherry is currently, as you can see on the screen, uh, on secondment uh, as a clinical science liaison manager. A field manager. So just a little bit of background for those of you that are aspiring MSLs who are with us. Sherry um, has a PhD uh, and, and, and the subject there was prostate cancer. So and her industry experience is really interesting. So it's a mix of both commercial and medical. And uh, in terms of where Sherry stands on medical excellence, uh, the implementation, she's hugely passionate about the implementation of uh, driving initiatives to support delivery on strategy with at AstraZeneca. Next, we have Jessica Purcell, uh, who is Head of Medical Excellence and Governance uh, for Asia PAC in uh, Takeda. And Jessica is based in, in Singapore. And we were just having a, a joke earlier about how tough it is to cope with the cold in Singapore. And Jessica too, uh, interestingly, um, is a was a medical researcher before joining the industry. And her doctorate, the subject of her doctorate was both immunology and vaccine development. So I imagine Jessica, you've been watching events of the last 12 months with real interest. I know that Jessica has a huge passion for medical affairs and in particular for ensuring that her team have the capability, resources and processes to efficiently and effectively deliver on medical strategy that is so, uh, so critical to the success of the function and the organisation. Next, we have Narendra Gozal, who, as you can see uh, from the slide is director of the, the critical appraisal company. We have a typo on the slide. So Narendra, I've known for a number of years. She was an MSL uh, prior to setting up the critical appraisal company. And I know that this is such a huge passion for her. And really when we asked Narendra about you know, her views on critical appraisal and uh, medical excellence, you know, she she articulates really beautifully the importance for transparency, objectivity, and evidence-based discussions in order to build firstly trust with physicians, 
but secondly, to ensure that they get the right information for their patients. And last but by no means least, I am thrilled to have my partner in crime, Kevin Woodhams, who is uh, the lead for learning and development here at 1MSL. And like myself, Kevin has a long history in the industry, working in both commercial and medical functions. And we have been working together over the last couple of years with a really aligned passion around individuals and their development. And I know that for Kevin, um, making a difference uh, to whether it's an individual, a team or an organization is what really motivates him to get out of bed in the morning. So thank you all for taking the time to join us. And of course, none of these events could happen without the team that sit in the background. So I want to say thank you to all of those people before we start. So let's start with the poll. We're really interested to know um, who is with us in this webinar. So uh, the question is, which of the following best describes your role? An aspiring MSL, less than 12 months in role, more than 12 months, MSL manager, medical leader, non-industry or other. And if you're an other, congratulations, just let us know in the chat what it is that you, you do. Oh, really interesting. We've got such a great mix here of, um, of people who have joined us. Ah, so I just saw uh, briefly in chat, we have a clinical trial director, so welcome. So we have everyone on the call from aspiring to uh, medical leaders, enrolled and uh, even non-industry participants. So thank you everyone. Irrespective of, of your, your reason or motivation, motivation for joining us, um, we, we really know that you're gonna, there's gonna be something here for each one of you. So thank you again for the engagement. So why do we need to redefine MSL excellence? So let's start with the big why question. And really um, what you see, the word cloud that you see on this screen is a word cloud which we built in 2016. Uh, this was just at the launch of, of Pivot MSL and we engaged with 30 companies and we asked them at that point to, uh, to tell us what words they associated with MSL excellence. And the words in the larger font are the words which we repeated most often. And not surprisingly here, you can see that science is, is coming at us quite strongly through the word cloud uh, with knowledge and standards and engagement um, sitting in there. And what's, what was really, when we were um, looking at this word cloud more critically, we noticed that actually Insights was tiny. In 2016, Insights just it was not part of the vocabulary for many organizations. And look how much that has changed in that time. Also, if we look to the left over here, physician needs, we can again see is quite small. So for many people, um, you know, that there was a huge emphasis back in 2016, people were very fixated on the importance and, and quite rightly so, you know, science, of course, is the foundation, sits at the foundation of all that we do. And back, in, back at that time, um, 
I would suggest that based on what we knew and what from my own personal experience, because of course that was what really shaped the journey to where we are today, the MSL I think was for many organizations seen as this reactive supportive function. And of course we know that back in 2016, most of our engagement was face-to-face. -face. Virtual engagement for many MSLs simply was not uh, a chosen, a preferred means of engagement, certainly for our physicians, but neither for the MSL. So what did we do with the uh, word cloud? Well, from the word cloud, we, we built our excellence framework. And you can see at the center of the framework, we have the organization and the MSL. So this was a framework that was really made up of a number of components, which we believed were not one of them in isolation could be described as the basis of excellence. But it's this connection between all of these components that really enables organizations to think about excellence, but really enables individuals to behave with excellence. And you can see on the screen the components within the framework. And of course, what has happened since 2016 is that the reality of our stakeholders, the people that we seek to engage with and ultimate support of our patients was changing. Their world was changing hugely. And there were so, the, the purpose of the slide is to try and depict in a very visual manner uh, the reality of their environment, what it was that they were having to contend with in terms of the decisions that they were making for their patients. And of course, industry recognized that the stakeholder reality was changing. And we, for most organizations, we thought, well, if this is the reality externally, then we need to consider how we respond to this. So what decisions are we going to make as industry in order to address the need of the stakeholders? And of course, you can see here, there've been a number of publications really talking about the evolving role of medical affairs. And on the left, this was an IFA Pharma publication which was actually from 2017, talking about the MSL, the superhero of pharma, question mark. Um, are they saving the industry? So we know that much has been written about this evolving world. Of course, what none of us could have predicted was what happened almost a year ago, the impact of COVID-19. And this is a term that I actually only heard last week and and it really resonated with me this idea of COVID being this accelerator for change and we're not going that is really not what the purpose of today is about but we do know that it has had a significant impact on almost each one of us whether it's personally or professionally so this is about thinking about the future and much has now been written about the evolution of the MSL role from this reactive supportive function to this idea that the MSL can in fact be a valued strategic driver, a trusted scientific partner. That's the vision 
both externally and internally. So, you know, in terms of thinking about you, if you were an MSL or an MSL manager, if we think of this as a continuum, ask yourself the question, you know, are we sitting as a reactive support function or are we edging closer in our companies towards this idea of being a valued strategic driver? So what do we need to do to adapt to the new normal? This is a huge question, hence the idea behind the webinar series. And what we really need to think about is redefining MSL excellence. And out of today, what we would love to do is rebuild this word cloud. So five years on, think about what could this word cloud look like in 2021? So I would like to invite each one of you who is joining us on the line to share three words in chat that you associate with MSL excellence. And we will take those words and we will build the word cloud. But while you're doing that, I'd like to invite some of our panelists to share with us what words they associate with MSL excellence. So Kevin, why don't I start with you? What would you uh, add to this picture? I, I keep changing my mind, Helen. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's because there's a lot to, to consider. So, uh, and we're going to chat about this in a, a little while, but I think mindset is really important. So how you approach um, the, 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 the job that you have to do. I think that focus on the HCP. So HCP would be my words. So rather than it being company out, we think about HCP in. So, so what are their needs? Um, and I think we, we've been forced to kind of approach it from that perspective in the last 12 months. And then I think there's never been a more um, important time for, for coaching and ongoing development of the MSL who is currently in role to help them adjust to the, 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 the environment that they're working in now. Fantastic, thank you. Jessica, may I come to you? Oh, thank you, Helen. Uh, look, I think uh, some of the words I was thinking of, Kevin, Kevin's already mentioned, but the one that, that definitely comes to mind for me is leadership. Uh, when we talk about partner, I, I think that's definitely a, a movement from support to partner. And for the future, I, I really think we can, we can think about leadership. And, you know, I, I've said this before many times, I, I truly do believe that the leaders of our pharmaceutical industry in the future will come from medical affairs. And, and that's because we really are shaping the industry and the organisation. Fantastic. Narinda, can I come to you? Yes. Um, well, for me, the first word really is about trust. So being trustworthy, I think, is critical. Um, considering, considering the climate and the pressures on clinicians all over the world. Um, and I, with that, I think emotional intelligence, because it's about being sensitive to what the situation might be in different areas. Um, and then I think uh, reliable. So to be the partner of choice, there needs to be some reliability and trust, and they go together. Fantastic. Thank you. And Sherry? Um, I, I'm, <laughs> I've been left in the last bucket here. Most of my words have been um, stolen, but, <laughs> but um, you can repeat I, I them. Oh no, no, I, I really do think that that what last year really um, enhanced in our medical affairs teams is the resilience that I think a lot of us already had, 
Um, and I think it really shines and holds us in good stead as we move forward because that resilience is what's going to get us back out into the field um, and engaging with uh, HCPs. The other word that really comes to mind for me is peer. Um, and I think that, you know, riffs off what Narenda and Jessica and Kevin were talking about, you know, being that partner of trust, being a peer to the HCPs, someone whose um, knowledge is actually giving them something um, important and useful. So I'm going to cheat and say those are my two words instead no. of three. <laughs> and do you know, do you know, thank you so much all. And thank you to everyone who's contributing online. And, and there are some wonderful words there. So, so we've got words like credibility, agility. We've got, uh, yes, that's fine, Angela. You can, you can say more than one word, but just self-interest. So I think it is this idea about us seeking to stand in the shoes of our stakeholders um, that is just so so important that we really and this all links back to empathy which I, I think we really heard you, you speak to as well Narinda so thank you everyone we will rebuild the word cloud now I am going to ask at this point I'm going to ask Kevin to comment on this because we speak a lot here at One MSL about mindset and I actually said to Kevin help me Help me articulate this. And in fact, I said, no, why don't you articulate this? So Kevin's <laughs> going to talk to this for us. Uh, you know, lots have been written over the last decade, probably, around uh, growth mindset. And, and I, I remember a story a colleague told me where uh, they'd been, they'd been in a, a growth mindset workshop and um, one of the attendees had actually said, I'd have more of a growth mindset if I had more time. And, and, and that in itself suggests that they hadn't perhaps thought about it uh, as well as they could have. And for me, a growth mindset is looking at how you can do something rather than believing that you can't. Um, and, and the last 12 months, if nothing else, have proven that to us. You know, Helen, right at the beginning, you talked about in 2016, 99.9% .9 of interactions were probably face to face. And then this time last year, that that was taken away from us. So we actually had to find ways of, of interacting differently. We've had to find ways of running um, uh, boards where, where we're, we're, we're trying to, to gain opinion um, from our key opinion leaders. All these things have been done. Um, and it's uh, what, what we had those abilities before, we just didn't need to use them. So it's when you face a problem, I think that, that having the ability to say, how could we do this rather than we can't do this, um, it probably explains it in a nutshell. So looking for solutions rather than just seeing the obstacle. And is I that... think it does. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And, and I think, you know, um, for, for me as well, um, very often we hear from people saying, well, our organisation, we can't do that in our organisation or I'm not able to do that because actually for me, it's about empowerment it's about taking, being proactive, and it's about taking decisions for yourself. So be a mover, be a shaker, you know, mm -hmm. try and try and change the change the narrative, which I guess is a little bit about what we're seeking to do here today. So there is a need. I think we all agree there is a need to redefine MSL excellence. 
And I don't believe that we're going to collectively do that today in the course of this webinar. But what we'd like to share with you is some of the considerations that we have come up with. And then we're going to, and as we look at these considerations, I'd like you to think about them in the context of your organization, because then we're going to have a poll to ask you to identify which do you believe might be a priority for your organization, say over the next 12 months. So what are those considerations? Firstly, the need to truly clarify the role of the MSL, to differentiate the role of the MSL and to provide recognition. You know, so if we're talking about the MSL in the context of being a strategic value driver and a trusted scientific partner, has that really been defined within the organization? And do people have the expectations? Do they know what is expected from them? Secondly, thinking about governance. This role will continue to be under the spotlight. And in particular, there has been a lot of conversation about the role of the MSL in the post-approval, the post-launch period. And what are the activities that they're doing that are different to those that are being conducted by other field-based colleagues? This is a huge topic. The whole idea of enhanced MSL competencies to uh, adapt to the new normal. So as Narinda said, thinking about EQ, knowledge and skills, the importance of a competency framework and how that can be used throughout the development journey. I think that Jessica spoke beautifully to this about the importance of leadership. And for me, that is really comes down as well to the communication of strategy. So how is what we're doing really linked to strategy? And are people comfortable with that? Do they understand why it is what they're doing and how that links to strategy? That, of course, then drives the activity. So what are the activities? But are we doing the activities that are linked to stakeholder needs and interests? And the big one, of course, metrics, that old nutshell that just keeps raising its head time and time again. Fair and appropriate, but actually I would like to be a bit challenging and say, should we be thinking about cross-functional metrics? That is something that I know has been suggested previously. And finally, thinking about systems and processes. Can they be simplified and streamlined to enable and support the MSL? A lot to think about there. So let's do a poll of everything that you have seen, which do you believe could be a priority for your organization currently? Really fascinating. So almost a third of you, better communication of strategy, um, onboarding, less so, working guidance. But I see here this the piece about continuous professional development, a number of people. But there is recognition that, um, that coaching is also really important. So, so I'm going to start, uh, Kevin, uh, let me start the question for you. So certainly in terms of, of, of what we've seen across the industry, can you just share with us one of the greatest challenges that you've seen in 2020? So this was the question. What do you believe have been the greatest challenges for MSLs in 2020? and their ability to deliver it with excellence. What would you say to this, Kevin? So, so the first thing that came to my mind, uh, having, having worked with 
a, a, a huge number of MSLs over the last 12 months um, is access. So access has been a, a, a real issue for lots of reasons. So, so we know that actually the way we had to, to engage changed. But also it was the expectation uh, on many MSLs about the how they um, had to try and proactively um, maintain contact with some of the HCPs who for, for a variety of reasons um, couldn't do it. And this, this was easier where you had an established relationship but where you were trying to generate new relationships, um, I think caused even more problem. And this goes back to, to what you were saying earlier, Helen, and, and I saw this word um, come through in, in, in chat for the, the word cloud. It was about value. So how do you demonstrate the role, purpose and value of the MSL role to someone who's never met you before? Um, and, and how do you do that in comparison to perhaps the, the commercial side of your own business? Or how do you differentiate yourself from MSLs from other organizations as well? So it's uh, knowing what your role, purpose and value is for yourself so that you can verbalize that, be that in an email, on a telephone call, or at the beginning of a, of a meeting. To, to start that relationship, to actually, you know, pave the way for them wanting um, to, to interact with you so that we can go to what Sherry said there about a peer-to-peer -peer relationship. Um, Fantastic. Start somewhere. Thank you. Uh, Jessica, what would you like to add to the question? Yeah, I, I think, uh, Kevin, you've touched on some of the really <laughs> important points, particularly around the external piece and demonstrating that value from an external perspective. I think some of the challenges that, that we heard about as well were, were how you're connecting with the internal environment and then how that translates to how you add value externally. And, and I think I, I can best describe this as connecting in the right way. So there was a lot of emphasis for our MSL teams on connecting because you're available now, you're home, maybe previously there were meetings you couldn't attend, but now you can, you can attend them. But they weren't necessarily adding value and they also weren't necessarily addressing some of the issues that, that really used to get addressed more in those ad hoc conversations when you could just connect in, in really easy ways. Uh, so I think connecting in the right way, both with your internal and external stakeholders has been a, a real challenge and knowing when to say no and what things you, you really need to put proactive emphasis on in order to maintain. And I can see Sherry nodding in agreement with you. So Sherry, what, and you're not in the last bucket because I'm going to come to you oh. first for the next question. So. <laughs> no, no, I was just, um, what Jessica was saying was just music to my ears because I, I really do think that because we've been available, um, we've almost lost some of the boundaries and time that we had to process, think about what's being said and really formulate, you know, prepare for next our next meetings and things like that. So I think that's wonderful. I think the other challenge that was really, you know, once you got over the hurdle of securing a meeting either with an external or internal stakeholder was adapting to that virtual setting. So you've, you know, we placed such great emphasis on the soft skills of MSLs, you know, 
you've all got brilliant EQ and, you know, people skills and language skills and communication. And then you put that all behind a Zoom screen and a bad internet connection. And you've actually lost so many of the cues that would drive a great rapport and a great interaction. And I think that was really one of the biggest challenges. I, I certainly found it incredibly challenging um, to deal with that. And I have such sympathy for some people who who continue to deal with that whilst in Australia here, we've been able to get back out into field. Yeah. So, so Sherry, I'm just going to stick with you now um, and come on to the next question. So I'll get you to start for us. So someone has asked, what skills are required for the MSL in the new post-COVID world? What would you what would you say to this? Well, in the spirit of all great apolit, I can't even say the word, end of the world um, movies. Apolit, yes. <laughs> It's very late in the evening. We all know what I'm trying to say. But the aim is to thrive, not just survive, right? So I feel like we really need to focus on upskilling and things like building your digital skills, social skills, um, adaptability and resilience is other things that we really need to focus on. And I think, you know, back in 2017, before the word pandemic had become in, you know, part of the vocabulary of every two-year-old around the world, um, there was a McKinsey report that said 40% of the um, population needed to be partially reskilled to actually meet the needs of the developing world. And I would suspect that that number has actually gone even higher now because the world has changed so significantly. And just to touch on a couple of the things I mentioned before, you know, um, when you apply for a role two years ago, when they talked about digital skills, they were probably saying you need to know how to work PowerPoint and you need to know where Microsoft Word lives and Outlook. Whereas, you know, we need to start thinking beyond word processes and slide decks and we need to start, you know, in our roles as MSLs and analysts and, you know, critical thinkers, we need to start learning skills around big data analytics or, you know, machine learning um, because our HCPs are starting to do this. They're starting to use these skills in the analysis of their data. And we, if we want to go back to that peer-to-peer relationship, we need to be on that level. Cherry, do you know what? You have just given me the most beautiful segue. I'm going to come to Narinda now. Narinda, what would you comment in terms of skills? I think that we've talked a lot about the qualities you require, but I think to echo um, what you're saying, Sherry, and um, Jessica, I think now is the time to actually listen to see what your clinicians, your healthcare professionals need, because they too have had a very traumatic year, missed out on their own self-development, mm. their trainees, their junior doctors, they've all, had, you know, a lot of people have to be had to be redeployed. So I think it's about actively listening and tailoring your skills to meet their needs. Um, so you know, now it's about being the expert that you are, but also being able to understand that COVID's affected medical fields in so many different ways, you know, in terms of um, the infection, if that is affecting or has something to do with your therapy area in your company, you need to be aware of that. So I think knowledge and being tailored with your approach um, is really important. Thanks, Narinda. Kevin? What would you like to add, if anything? Yeah, so, so I, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with with everything that's been said so far, and I, I don't necessarily think 
that it's it's new skills we need to think about it's it's enhancing the skills that we had so particularly and sherry commented on this at the beginning around communication and it's communication in its widest form and it's thinking about how the hcp wants to communicate um and this was coming and you know that that covid being an accelerator to change in in work that i've been involved with in in a commercial area they've been talking about a multi-channel approach to HCP interactions for a long time, at least five years. And that's based on what the HCP wants, not necessarily on what the organization is prepared to give. So I think that's that's really important. We need to understand our HCPs better. And someone's just commented in, um, in, in chat, EQ, emotional intelligence, is even more important now. So really trying to demonstrate empathy, not because that's a good trick to get the HCP on side, but to truly empathize with what they're doing, what they're up against in therapy areas where they've had to stop seeing patients where they haven't started therapies because they can't and, and actually working with that rather than trying to drive their own agenda through that. I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, uh, EQ, we're, we're, we're very passionate about EQ. And for somebody who's very green, you know, it, it, it's just to me, it's just so intuitive. Why wouldn't you want to demonstrate genuine concern and, and interest and so on? And, and I think that, you know, for the MSL often, there's just so much that they're trying to contend with that, that, that they're having to consider. And so I think we have to really support people in, the, in this transition. So thank you, everyone. So the next question that we had um, is, and I'm going to start with you, Jessica, if I may. What are the greatest opportunities, do you believe, for field medical teams in 2021 and beyond? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, fantastic question, Helen. I think it's easy to get caught up in the, the transition we're going through now in, in terms of how we're engaging and but looking forward and beyond this, this pandemic, when we do settle into to this new normal, as we're calling it, you know, what are the skills? What are the requirements going to be? And, and I think this it's, it's exactly right. COVID has accelerated some of these, these components already. Uh, and we're starting to see this come into play in the interactions our MSLs are having. But for me, the one, the one big thing that, that I think is, is really changing is the shift towards both data-driven uh, diagnosis and treatment, but also personalised diagnosis treatment regimes. Uh, I'm fortunate in that my, my background is in rare diseases. So we saw that, uh, you know, to some extent in, in the work that we were doing in that space, that every discussion that our MSLs were having with HCPs was very much tailored to the individual patient. You know, what are their needs? What does the data tell us about how we can support that particular patient with all of their individual nuances? Uh, and then subsequently, I think we're now seeing that move even more into other spaces that perhaps in the past weren't considered to be personalised, that were considered to be these, these larger areas like oncology as we start to get more targeted to mutations and specific patients will require specific, specific treatments. Uh, we also see that in terms of risk sharing, you know, as governments are asking us to actually be more responsible for, for the outcomes of our medications. So for, for an MSL perspective, it's really about being sure that we truly know that data and that we truly can communicate that in a way that actually allows clinicians to, to make solid decisions about how they're treating their patients. 
uh, and balanced approach to that. And, and I think ultimately, you know, I, I was thinking about the, the devices world where the, the, the company representatives actually spend time in surgery during the time when patients are, are getting those devices inserted because they're the expert and they can provide that guidance. And I think this is where our MSLs of the future will be, actually part of that decision-making process. And I'd be really interested to actually hear what, what Narinda thinks on this, because I, I think this also comes back to how clinicians are feeling about analysing this data as well. Narinda, what, what, what would you add? I know that for you, um, we had a really interesting conversation about the fact that physicians really want to trust industry. Mm. So, to, to yes, I'll answer that question, but to echo what, Jessica, what you're saying, um, I'd say probably in the last 10 months, we've been so busy um, with working with healthcare professionals um, because they want to be more evidence-based. They want to understand the data. They wanted their trainees, their teams to be able to um, answer those questions, you know, which is the best vaccine? What should I be doing with this disease? So people, patients are wanting to have those answer, uh, questions answered straight away. And I think what um, came to reality was a lot of clinicians did their job, but they weren't driven by data. They weren't driven by evidence to the extent that they need to. So um, I can honestly say that that's a big area that for ourselves through the engagement, when everybody else was on furlough or not working, um, they wanted to learn more so they could feel empowered to give their patients um, the right message and they would make the right decisions based on the right evidence. Um, and just to add to that, the fact that there were 280,000 publications in the past 12 months um, worldwide meant that there's so much data out there and how do you decide what's good, what's bad, and you need now MSLs to be equipped, knowledgeable, um, and credible in being able to engage and get the right messages across where, where necessary. Fantastic. Thank you. Gosh, this is this is a great conversation. And I, and I know that, um, you know, a lot of people are, are commenting online. So, Joe, thank you for all of your engagement. Personalised medicine, the diagnostic odyssey for rare diseases and oncology. So the question is this. How can MSL managers continue to provide good quality interaction coaching in a virtual world where joint visits with MSLs can be difficult to set up? So that's a question. Kevin, let's start with you. So, so I'm going to go back to my growth mindset slide and I'm going to think about rather than seeing the obstacle, see the opportunity. Um, and actually, while we're... Um, interacting virtually potentially that actually gives managers more opportunity to actually take part in more interactions with more hcps so with planning you can actually and i, I know some managers cover whole countries or large regions or you know talking about australia big states um actually from the comfort of their home office they can actually interact and accompany their MSLs on, on you know, more than one visit in a day. So you can increase the frequency and therefore increase the effectiveness of the coaching that you're trying to deliver. It takes time. But I think one of the greatest 
challenges to that is the pushback by the manager to other things they're being asked to do by the organization i still think coaching is seen as a low priority and will always get knocked to one side by something else another internal meeting uh, when actually we need to be thinking about growing the capabilities of our teams we've seen the teams want to develop we should be supporting that fantastic so sherry what would you like to as a as a fairly new to secondment manager, what, what, what would your comment be around this? Well, I would just have to echo what Kevin said. I, I really do see the opportunity and, you know, being in Australia where it takes five hours to five or six hours to fly from one side to the other. Um, we, we've been sort of able to adapt to that with virtual coaching. And I think it really provides an opportunity to provide some quality coaching in an environment that is a bit more relaxed sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I also encourage managers not to dictate the medium. So I find that a lot of people are quite zoomed out at the moment. And sometimes they might be a bit more relaxed and a bit more receptive to coaching feedback without a camera angled into their face. So, you know, do it via phone. Um, you can um, set up calls where you, you know, catch up with your team member before and after an engagement. Mm. You may or may not be able to go in, um, dial in with an HCP, depending on the HCP's preference. Um, but I do think it's, you know, it is, as Kevin said, about finding the, finding the opportunities um, and, and people have been receptive to it, I've found. The amount of people in chat going virtual coaching is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's it's clearly really well accepted. So um, I hope that answers the question for whoever asked. But I'm just going to go, Jessica, I know that coach, you're very passionate about coaching. Is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it's important that whenever we do engage in coaching as managers, that it reflects reality. Uh, and if the reality is that the engagement is happening through virtual channels, then then it makes sense to to embrace that because you're getting to see the reality of what's actually happening in those interactions. Um, I think there's also, you know, as we move even beyond, you know, this year and, and post pandemic, there's always going to be a new hybrid between uh, how we run our, our activities, whether that's everyone is face to face, maybe some people are online. Uh, and so how do you actually then also manage that situation? So I think it's important for managers to, to be in all forms, in all, all media, to, to make sure that they are, you know, really identifying when, when their team members need, uh, you know, certain, certain feedback or guidance and, and are able to develop. Um, I think two other, two other pieces that are really important is, is in terms of the ability to, to manage what's not being said, particularly when you're in, in this virtual environment and how you coach individuals to actually be able to, to do and, and recognise what's not being said. Uh, and also, um, you know, thinking about onboarding and how you coach someone through the onboarding phase, particularly when they may not have the opportunity to engage face-to-face -face with, with yeah. all of the key stakeholders, both internally and externally. These are where I think some of the key challenges are lying when it comes to coaching and, and what we should be thinking about in, in terms of the frameworks we have for coaching. Thank you. So we have a couple of really great questions coming through the chat. Yeah. And Francis, we will come to your question, I promise. But I, we, I am really conscious that every day I receive uh, requests from aspiring MSLs who are desperate to break into this role. And uh, that, you know, that the, the demand and the desire has just grown and grown and grown. So this is the question to the panel. 
In the context of the new normal, how best can an aspiring MSL prepare? And because we want to take Francis's question, if I could just ask each one of you to maybe come up with uh, one idea or one thought so that we can deal with a couple of the questions in chat. So, Narinder, what would your recommendation be for the aspiring MSL? How could they best prepare in the hope that they could secure an opportunity for an MSL interview? I think now it's about um, understanding evidence to the point that being evidence-based with their mindset, understanding the priorities um, for that clinician or that therapy area. And other than what your own organisation are doing, to be able to see the bigger picture and relate your messages to, to what the whole team may want to know about. I would add from two perspectives. So firstly, from the perspective of an aspiring MSL who is seeking to break in, so who doesn't have a pharma experience, you know, what COVID's done is take away all our opportunities for networking at um, events and, you know, meetings like that. But, you know, there are great opportunities to network digitally, um, you know, creating those opportunities for personalised connection. And this is even more important virtually. And what you're doing there, if you say build a network or build a connection with the hiring manager, is demonstrating those very skills that you will need to succeed in the role. Um, and I really think it's important to be bold and courteous, um, and also be targeted. So if you're late, you know, if you're trying to network, um, know exactly why you are connecting to that person. Because I don't believe in collecting connections on certain um, professional. Um, networking websites. I think you need to be really focused and targeted. Think about it as a contacts list, you know, what am I trying to achieve here? So that that's kind of what, what I would think. Um, and the other thing is with interviews and preparing for interviews, you know, Narendra has covered the scientific expertise really well. Um, but practice your presentation skills. You know, it's all the simple things, isn't it? It's preparing your background running through your presentation, knowing how to set it up virtually, are you sharing on the right screen, what have I, have, what have I got on my desktop and which tabs have I got open on my um, Chrome? All those things, just run through it, get a friend to practice with you because these are the things, they'll, the, the only things that the people on the other side have to go off without you being in the same room as them. Thanks, Sherry. Uh, and Jessica, what would you, what advice would you give to the aspiring MSL? Yeah, I definitely echo all, all the things that have been said. And I, I think, you know, Sherry, to Sherry's point, uh, speak the language as well in the interview. So know uh, what terminology is used commonly in, in the industry. And you'll get that through networking. But I, I, I really want to say the, the one thing I would say to all aspiring MSLs is, is really embrace the growth mindset. And thanks, Kevin, for, for presenting that because you know, everyone on this panel didn't start their lives as an MSL. And I think that tells you that you can do it. Um, you know, you you are able to achieve it. And sometimes it just takes some resilience. Helen, just before we move on, I, I, we, we've got a really great question that's come up in the Q&A that I think fits really nicely here. And I know Sherry um, wants the opportunity to respond to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the question is, Will there be a change in mindset for hiring managers as regards to hiring MSLs with little to no industry experience? I believe good candidates are being overlooked. Sherry. <laughs> well, I was an MSL with no experience. Um, and I really have to 
thank my network for connecting me to a hiring manager um, and giving me a phone number to ring so that I could, um, you know, demonstrate the skills that I had, the soft skills that I had. And, you know, what I, I do think that when you don't have industry experience, it, yes, it is a bit harder to get over the HR um, block in some ways. So if you're just applying cold on a website or um, through a company, it may be a bit more challenging. That's where your networking comes into play. And I think that's where you can sort of um, build your connections to demonstrate that you've got these soft skills, which will make them overlook the fact that you don't have experience, industry experience. Yeah, and, and, and I'm just going to add one thing to this is, is that I think um, be focused, decide what your area of expertise is, you know, if, don't apply for 20 roles and look, look at a range of job, of job uh, descriptions, of job adverts and look for the differences and identify where you believe your strengths are. Really be, really be comfortable with your strengths. So there's one question, Kev, um, that, that came in from Francis that I would I would really like to touch on. Can, can I, sorry, Helen, to, to, just just before we go there to, 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 to kind of finish that one off. I, I, I think we focus on the person who wants to be hired. I think the challenge is about hiring managers. And I think that as managers, we need to be thinking about having real clarity about what it is we want these people to do once they've been hired. So it is a mixture and someone challenged when we were talking about EQ around IQ. Obviously the ability to take on and, and share scientific data will never go away. That's going to be a core skill. So there needs to be a balance between IQ and EQ, but there's lots of research uh, at the moment being done where they're actually talking about hiring for attitude because both knowledge and skills can be taught. So actually it's the attitude of someone that you might want to consider when, when making a hire. So I just thought that was important to, to add in and I can see Jessica nodding. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Kevin. I, I really think that, you know, you can teach certain skill sets and again, the growth mindset comes in there, uh, but passion and enthusiasm and that willingness to learn uh, that's harder to to really find in in all applicants, and I, I think um, you know we need to be thinking about that. And, and I think for for all aspiring MSLs, there are, there are some really interesting uh, pieces of advice coming through for you on the the chat function. So hopefully you've been able to see that. Um, and also just you know we do offer lots of free resources on our, on our community. You don't have to go and pay a lot of money as an aspiring MSL. So please just know that there's a wealth of free resources out there. Um, I think that that's really important to share. So there was a question came through and, and um, this is clearly, this is intended to be a, a globally focused webinar, but I would be interested in, in just hearing from some of our panelists about really um, organizations and, and understanding physicians' desire to engage face-to-face. -face. So it, it, is that something that's happening at the moment it, or, or is the expectation, do you believe that you will engage virtually for the foreseeable future or is there a belief that we might get back to face-to-face -face engagement? Would anyone like to comment on that? Because clearly that will vary from region to region. Jessica. 
Sure. Yeah. Maybe let me let me speak to this from from my experience across Asia Pacific, where I think we have quite a diverse range of of outcomes as a result of of the interactions that are happening. And you know, some countries we're seeing uh, as as it's allowed by regulation, and as as countries uh, you know overcome come their infections and are opening back up, we are seeing a very fast return to face to face in some of our countries. What's been interesting, though, in some of our, our other countries that were perhaps less keen to, to even shift to this virtual environment because their physicians that they were engaging with were saying, no, I want to meet face-to-face, -face. I really appreciate that, um, is that now that those physicians have had the opportunity to engage from their perspective with patients virtually through remote healthcare. Uh, they're actually realizing that there's a lot of ways in which engagement can happen in this remote environment. And we're not seeing it shift back as quickly or even what we don't believe will be at all in some of our, our key stakeholders to a face-to-face. -face. Uh, so I think it's going to vary and it's going to vary partly from a, a cultural perspective. And we certainly see that in the diversity of, of different cultures we have across Asia Pacific. And it's also going to depend on, on how much the physicians have embraced the, the digital and virtual environment through their own day-to-day -day work as well. Fantastic. Sherry, is there anything that you would add from, from your experience? Yeah, so I guess in Australia, we've, we have had a return to field in some respects, but I would say that there is a market difference um, between the types of HCPs who are open to um, seeing you again. So your specialists tend to be more open to seeing um, MSLs face-to-face, -face. Um, it's it's almost going back to that idea of a welcome break in the day when it's been quite, you know, a heavy day of patients. However, with um, primary care, we're finding that primary care is a bit more challenging and, you know, with GPs, um, they, they are very overrun, particularly as the vaccines are being rolled out um, globally. So I think there's variation. Um, what I would say is that once once you're in a situation where your region is allowing you know face-to-face -face visits or it's it's considered safe from your company's perspective and their policies it is worth you know exploring it and 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 starting to offer you know would you like to meet outside you know outside the hospital across the road in the cafe or, you know in an environment that removes the risk to patients so okay I, I, and I'm really I, I, I'm sorry but I'm, I'm just I'm just we, somehow we have three minutes remaining I don't know where 57 minutes has gone to Narinda very quickly is there anything that you would that you would like to add um base I know you've worked really closely with physicians over the last 12 months many of whom have not been able to do the day job is, is there anything that you would quickly add to the idea of engaging face to face with physicians? Yeah, I think you really have to listen and be flexible and be mindful of what their pressures are. So certainly the way we've been working now um, is if people want to work, you know, have a breakfast meeting virtually or in the evenings, but, you know, being flexible to fit around what they need. But going forward, um, certainly in the UK, the Royal College of Surgeons and Physicians, they've acknowledged that going forward for the rest of this year, they want all their registrars and trainees to do their exams as normal but everything virtually so it was a really difficult thing for them to not have face-to-face -face connections and teaching but now actually they've evolved and I think um, the fact that you've mentioned that you know patients can now be um, seen online it is working for people so for the next rest of this year and for the next couple of cohorts of 
clinicians going for consultants exams, they'll all be doing it virtually. So therefore they're doing all their training virtually. And therefore I think that as MSLs, you've got to want to understand, do they on what is their priority and fit into what their needs are? Thanks, Narinda. So firstly, thank you so much to the panelists. You know, you have been amazing and I, I really hope you've enjoyed it as much as, as we have. And um, just to let you know that this webinar is the first in this series of five. And you can see that we've tried to schedule these webinars to fit different time zones. So clearly today hasn't worked for uh, the US time zone. And a number of these panelists may be featuring on future webinars. We, we certainly hope that to be the case. So um, if you have an interest in being part of future webinars, please look for the links in either on LinkedIn or through the One community. And um, of course, none of this would be possible without the contribution and engagement of all of the participants. Thank you so much. Um, there have been some really fantastic uh, pieces of advice, some conversation that's happening in the background. So we really, really appreciate it and hope that you will all be able to join with us in future webinars. So for now, I think we just say thank you and goodbye and enjoy the rest of the day wherever you may be in the world. Thank you. Thanks guys, bye. Thank you.